It's really great to see you enjoying each other. Did you know that the shortest day of the year is almost a month behind us now? Thought you needed some good news today, Todd. Just wanted to throw that in just for you. Um, Again, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning we are continuing in a series we launched a few weeks ago through the life of a guy in the Bible named Joseph. We're calling this series From Dreams to Destiny. And this is really a series about how so often our plans and dreams and ideas for our own lives don't line up with God's plans and ideas and dreams for our lives, and how sometimes God has to kill the dreams we have so that his dream for us can live. You ever experienced that? Another way of thinking about this is with the word detour. You see, we all know about detours. We're driving somewhere, we've mapped it out, and we've planned the most efficient route. We've given ourselves just enough time to get there when we need to, when all of a sudden we come upon a big orange sign with an arrow that says, detour. And no one really likes a detour. No one really looks forward to one because a detour just means extra time, not in my plan, I'm going to be late, I'll now be going out of my way. But the reality is this, At some point in your life, you will hit a detour. Not just on the road, but in your relationships, in your finances, in your life, and in your world. You'll be cruising right along, right down the path that you want to go, and all of a sudden, a big orange sign will pop out of nowhere. It'll smack you in the face, and it will say, you have to make a turn now because you've been fired or dumped or rejected, or betrayed, or rerouting because, as it turns out, your child has a disability, or this marriage isn't what I thought it would be, or you didn't get into that school, or a road closed for abuse, discrimination, a cheating spouse, a disease, or you failed to make the team, or the doctor says you can't have kids, or make a very sharp left because your child is now on drugs, or will now be going another direction because there's been an accident. Ever got that call? There's been an accident. Just this week, I talked to a really good buddy of mine, one of my best friends from California, whose father had a body surfing accident, and I know this guy. I know his dad. Uh, He's like 65 going on 42, one of the youngest, most active 65-year-olds I've ever met in really good shape, active, passionately engaged in ministry all over the place. And then all of a sudden, in a split second, he hits his head and everything changed. And my buddy's on the phone with me just last week saying, you know, I haven't lost my dad, but he's not the same. And I don't know if he ever will be. I don't know if my kids will ever get to know the dad that I knew. I'm not sure he's ever fully coming back. You see, detours aren't always fun and they're rarely easy. And in Joseph's story today, he has hit yet another detour. Let me remind you where we are. Joseph 
was 17, on top of the world, the youngest of 11 brothers currently, and his father's favorite. His dad gives him this very special honorary ornate robe. It symbolized his great affection for his son. And then Joseph had two dreams where he, in the first one, would rule over his brothers, and in the second one where he would rule over the entire family, and then he decided to share those with his family. And this incident incited so much jealousy in his siblings that they sold him into slavery And Joseph was shipped off to Egypt where he found himself serving in Potiphar's house, a high-ranking official. And while he was there, Joseph begins to turn his life around. He goes through detour number one and he's getting back on track. He does his best. He's faithful to God. He's climbing the ranks of responsibility until suddenly Potiphar's wife takes an interest in him and tries to sleep with him. After rejecting her several times, she finally gets fed up accuses Joseph of rape, and now Joseph has landed himself in prison. This is where we pick up the story today. Joseph has gone to prison. Genesis chapter 39, the second half of verse 20. But while while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You see, friends, this sounds a lot like good news, doesn't it? Like, it sounds so positive. Joseph is now in prison, but the Lord was with him and granted him kindness, and he's found favor in the eyes of him. You know, let me tell you a statement I never once said about my life. God granted Dave favor in the eyes of his prison warden. I never want you to say that about me. I hope you never speak those words. I don't want to know a prison warden. I've seen Shawshank Redemption. I know they're not nice. (laughs) I'm telling you, friends, if I were Joseph right now, I'd be real tempted to say, oh, God, you're with me? A lot of good that's doing me. Since you've been with me, I've been beaten by my brothers, sold into slavery, sexually harassed by my boss's wife, and now I'm in jail, not only for something I didn't do, but for doing the right thing. Time and time again. Oh, but you're with me, God. You know what, God? Why don't you be with me a little less? Why don't you go be with somebody else? You know what? Go be with my brothers for a while. Be with them a lot. I'd like to see what that looks like. You see... This is Joseph's second life detour, and it is a big one. It's prison. It's ancient world prison. But Joseph's about to find out that God does some of his best work when we find ourselves in prison. This week, I spent a couple hours with a guy named Chip. Rick Johnson introduced me to Chip this week, and we talked for a while right here in the office Chip went to prison in 1993, the year I graduated from high school. He got out last month on December 14th. That's three days shy of 26 years. And what Chip said to me time and time and time again as he told me his story was this, prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it was a long story. And it's an intense story. And it's a hard story to hear. In prison 
was the best thing that ever happened to him. He said, I didn't know it, but I needed to go to prison so that God could get a hold of my life. I didn't know it, but I needed to go to prison so that God could strip some things away from me and off of me so that I could live fully and completely for him so that I could have life that is truly life. Chip has been out 37 days today. You know what his vision is? He wants to plant a church in Forest Grove. That's the town he's from. That's the place where he did his crime. And he wants to go back and be a pastor in that community. You see, while Chip was in prison, he discovered that God really was with him. He started going to services that churches were going in there to put on. He started interacting with Christian people coming in to minister. He started reading and studying the Bible. He started leading worship. He started going to seminary, seminary courses that people from this church were teaching He started preaching, preaching to his fellow inmates in seminary, and now he wants to get out, he wants to launch a church, and he wants to be a pastor for the kingdom of God in the very community where at one time he was a criminal. God does some of his best work in prison. Another guy who's become a good friend of mine uh, goes to this church. We play disc golf together sometimes. I'm better than him. I beat him all the time if he's in here. That's trash talk to you. Um, He was in prison six years, got out, made some other bad choices, got in trouble again, and had to go back for another four and a half year stint. And what he'd tell you is this, I had to go to prison twice for God to get his arms around me. Twice. You see, God does some of his best work in prison. And just a quick side note here, this is why we as a church are so committed to our prison ministry. A, because we serve a God of second chances, because we are second chance people. We are people who've been given a second chance by God, and and not just a second chance, but a 20-second chance, and an 80-second chance, and a 930-second chance, and a 1,452,217 second chance, right? That didn't work out as well as I hoped. At any rate, um, that's what happens when I go off my notes. But you get the point. And so we believe even those people deserve a second chance. B, because God is doing great work in the lives of people in our prisons. So this morning, I want to say this. If you want to be a part of, or if you just want information about our prison ministry, Rick Johnson, who leads that and is just a phenomenal human being, um, is going to be at a lobby table after the service. Go talk to him, ask questions. He'll tell you you can be involved on a number of levels, just praying, writing letters, supporting family members who are out, going into the prisons and actually meeting with and ministering to people who desperately needs someone to remind them that they still matter specifically to God. But this morning, friends, I want to suggest to you this. Prison, in this story, in Joseph's story, in our story, is not just a building. It's not just a place. Prison is any time we find ourselves trapped in something against our will. Prison is any time through no fault of our own, life throws us a detour. Prison is any time we are and find ourselves being victims of injustice, something not right, not fair, not the way God wants it to be. You see, here's what's interesting about our story today. Joseph didn't deserve this prison. 
It was not right, it was not fair, but here he is. So I've entitled the message this morning, How to Be Faithful in the Face of Injustice. How to remain faithful to God when life isn't fair, when life brings you a detour. And here's the first point. Be careful not to allow sin to grow in your heart. In the face of injustice, be careful not to allow sin to grow in your heart because here's the truth, friends. When you've been treated unfairly, when you've been wronged, when you feel like you've gotten what you don't deserve, when you feel like you aren't getting what you do deserve, when you are the victim of injustice, there is just real fertile soil for bitterness and anger and animosity and revenge and rage and resentment and cynicism and negativity and pessimism to take root in and grow in your heart. In the face of injustice, you are extremely vulnerable to these attitudes taking root in you. You see, this first point is really about what the Bible doesn't say. Sometimes the Bible speaks through what it says, and sometimes the Bible speaks through what it leaves out intentionally. And it doesn't say in our text today that Joseph goes to prison and he's mad, bitter, angry, resentful, and he sat around in his cell and he pouted for two years. No, it doesn't say any of that. And this is significant because if you read the Bible, and if you're new here today, if you're new with us, if you're new to the Bible, let me tell you something about it. It's so authentic. It's so real. If you're new to the Bible... It's very honest. It's a very honest book. It doesn't sugarcoat stuff. It's very honest even about its heroes. Time and time again, we're told about failure after failure after failure after failure. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samson, David, Gideon. The Bible does not emit negative material or try to polish people up. So when we don't read all these things about Joseph, we can assume that perhaps he wasn't perfect, maybe he wasn't perfect, but that at least he guards his heart in this moment very well. Very well. The question is, what about you? How's your heart today? Or more specifically, where in your life are you facing injustice? Where in your life are things not fair Where is someone not living up to their end of the bargain? Or maybe you're not getting what you deserve. Where do you feel like you're getting cheated or slighted or a raw deal today? Let me ask you this. Is that situation driving your attitude? Is that reality driving your attitude? Or are you driven by the fact that right in the middle of that unfair, unjust, not right thing... God is with you. One of those two will be Lord of your life in that moment, in that situation, in that setting, in that relationship, in that marriage. One of those two will drive your attitude. The unjustness of the situation or the fact that the God of, the heaven, of heaven and earth is with you, which will rule. Just this past week, Amy and I uh, encountered a situation where we experienced, in my mind, a very judgmental and unfair reaction from a neighbor. It was in the form of a very, very harsh text message, and I won't tell you the details of the situation, but I will tell you that my knee-jerk and instant reaction to this text was all the things listed on that screen. All that stuff just came flooding into my heart and mind, 
bitterness and resentment and anger and frustration and defensive posture. I wanted to send a scathing text in reply so bad and I grabbed my, th- my phone and I had my thumbs poised and ready to type venom and justification and defense and I was gonna let them know that they didn't understand the situation or know the story and that they were in the wrong and that I was in the right and I was just about to send a text when I remembered that I'm a pastor <laughs> and I'm not allowed to send those kind of texts to people. Thank God, because that often helps me. Um, but honestly, to, be, to tell you the truth, that's true. I really did want to respond in that way and did in my heart for a few moments um, and maybe verbally with my wife. <laughs> but then, as he often does, the Holy Spirit, tap, tap, tap. Hey, Dave, don't you often talk about Grace. Hey, Dave, hey, see if you know this one. Love your... <laughs> now, on my sheet, I had enemies, but in the first service, someone yelled neighbor, which is actually like more right on the nose, but I'll use both, right? Love your neighbor. Even further than that, love your enemies. Another phrase from Jesus, pray for those who... Pray for those who persecute you. Be kind to people who send you harsh, rude, judgmental texts, even when they're unwarranted. You love them, you pray for them. You show them kindness. And friends, I am not saying I'm perfect because I've got a long way to go here. And too many other times I've wanted to send that email or that text and too many other times I've typed that text and then deleted it. And then sometimes I've typed that text and hit send, only to have to go back and apologize. You see, I'm not saying I'm perfect, friends. I've got a long way to go, but here's the reality. The Holy Spirit does not want that junk in my life. The Holy Spirit says, stay as far away from that stuff as you possibly can. You do not want that in you, Dave. And friends, neither do you. Be careful to not allow sin to grow in your heart in the midst of injustice. Extra vulnerable, you're extra tempted in that moment. So now Joseph has once again climbed the ranks in prison. He's got increased responsibility, and we come to Genesis chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? Now, friends, in this moment, it would have been so easy for Joseph to just get isolated and self-absorbed in the face of all of his own injustice. It would have been so easy for him to just start thinking about himself, and yet, Joseph, with all of his troubles, sees somebody else's troubles. Joseph, with all his burdens, cares about somebody else's burden, and he treats these disgraced prisoners, these forgotten men, like human beings when no one else does. You see, injustice in your life Unfairness in your life, hurt, pain, betrayal in your life will either help you see the struggles of others or only get you focused on 
yours. And I am not saying that there are not times and seasons when you do need to focus on yourself and work through things and seek healing. Certainly that's the case. Certainly that is a healthy, healthy thing to do. I'm not saying ignore your stuff, ignore your own needs, don't practice self-care. You certainly need to do that. And, and we must, in the midst of our own struggles, remember to see the struggles of others. Leslie Flynn, who uh, wrote a little book on Joseph, and in it, uh, she tells the story of a seminary professor who got a season of very harsh criticism for his teaching and as a result went into this very, very dark place emotionally such that he really didn't care about anyone or anything for a long time. And one day, a friend came to visit him and challenged him to think of people in his life who had been a major help to him. And then from that list, from that long list of people who had helped him to just select one person, just one, and write them a letter of encouragement. Well, the man thought about it for some time, and then the person that came to his mind was a teacher that he had had when he was just a small boy. And so on his friend's advice, one morning, he pulled out a piece of paper and decided to write this woman a letter. Some weeks went by, and then one day in the mail, he received a reply. And it was written in the shaky handwriting of a woman who had been retired for many, many years. And and here's what the reply said. Dear William, when I read your letter, I was blinded with tears, for I remember you as a little fellow in my class. You have warmed my old heart. I have taught school for 50 years. Yours is the first letter of thanks I have received from a student, and I shall cherish it until I die. Flynn writes, and a little sliver of light came into the prison of this discouraged man's life encouraging him to write another thank you note and then another one and another one and another one until he had written 500 notes of encouragement and it was no longer close to anything that may be described as emotionally dark and destitute. You see, friends, when we get too focused only on our own struggles, they will consume us. But when we stop and we look around and we notice other people's pain, Not only do they get blessed, not only do they get encouraged, but God uses them to prevent us from drowning in our own despair. That's what Joseph does. So let me ask you this morning, is there anyone you need to notice these days? Is there anyone in your life facing something, carrying something, going through something? Is there anyone who God is simply calling you to, like Joseph, say, why do you look so sad today? I've noticed you've been a little down, and I see you. I notice you. Your problems are not invisible to me. How can I help? Well, that's what Joseph does, and these guys say, yeah, Thanks for caring, and here is how you can help. We have both had these dreams, and Joseph's thinking, dreams, huh? Dreams are what got me into this mess in the first place. (laughs) And we notice, by the way, the parallel here, two dreams for Joseph, two dreams in prison. Next week, there might just be two dreams again, kind of uniting this story, wonderfully written story. Dreams, huh? Dreams are what got me into this mess in the first place, but go ahead. 
And they say, yeah, we've had these dreams. They seem significant. They seem like a big deal, but there's no one around to interpret them. And so here's Joseph's response. Genesis 40, verse 8. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches or three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. And show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Friends, all commentators agree. This is the high point of this little section of the story. This is the climax today. And in the climax of the story, here is what we see. In the face of injustice, Joseph knows both God is the power and that he is his partner. Friends, we must know that God is the power and that we are his partner. See, sometimes in the Christian life, we take on this posture of, you know, God's not coming through. I've prayed, I've asked, I've sought him, and so I just need to take things on myself. I need to take matters into my own hands. But that is not what we see in Joseph. You notice that right here in the middle, he says what? Do not interpretations belong to God? You see, even after years maybe decades of suffering and torture and imprisonment, he's still turning to God. He still understands that God is the only one with the power to get him out of the mess that he's in. See, Joseph understands that he cannot fix his own situation. That God will have to do it. But he also, on the other side of the coin, doesn't make the other mistake we often find Christians making, and that's to take a completely passive posture and assume that after we've prayed or asked God that he should or would or ought to just magically fix things. That he doesn't want to use our effort or ingenuity at all. And we notice here how Joseph relies on God for these interpretations, but then he adds at the end, hey, cupbearer, you know, when all goes well with you, when you get out of here, remember me. Show me kindness. Tell Pharaoh what's going on with me and get me out of here too, right? I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, right? Friends, we see this all throughout the scriptures. God works when his people act. Time and time again. He's the power, but he uses people. It's what he chooses and decides to do. That's his sovereign choice. You see, it was God's mercy that saved Noah, but he still asked Noah to build a boat. It was God's power that parted the Red Sea, but Moses still raised his staff in faith. It was God's strength that defeated Goliath, but David still had to hurl that stone. It was God's miracle when he walked on water, but friends, Peter still had to climb and put one foot over the rail after the other and get out of that boat. Hear me on this, friends. We, and when I say we, I mean us, Cedar Mill Bible Church, making a statement for all of us. So I just want you to just agree with this in your heart. We will not take a passive stance in the face of injustice. It's not just a God thing. It's a God through us thing. We 
Do not take a passive stance in the face of injustice. We do not just sit back and say, God, fix it. No, we dive in. We get creative. We leverage our gifts and talents and thinking and resources and ideas, knowing that God is the power behind all of it and that he loves to partner with people who trust him enough to act, even when it's hard and uncomfortable and there's adversity. And that's what Joseph does. He starts working the angles and leveraging his relationship with this guy and the relationship this guy has with Pharaoh to potentially fix this injustice. On this point, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And on this day, we remember, I'd say, not just a man, but a lot of people who refuse to sit idly by and passively allow racism and prejudice to continue to grip our nation. And friends, we've got a long way to go. God is still in the battle of fighting against injustice in our world, and he's looking for people who want to join the fight. And I say this, our church is joining the fight. We've been fighting for a long time, and we will keep fighting. Fighting for God's will and ways and in, in this earth, fighting for God's justice to reign supreme, fighting for what, what did Jesus say? On earth as it is in, and there ain't no injustice in heaven. In fact, right after this Joseph series is over, we're going to launch into a series on justice in the gospel, um, I think five weeks leading up to Easter on justice, and as Nick would say, get pumped. <laughs> get pumped for that. All right. After seeing the great news that his buddy gets from Joseph, you know, the cupbearer gets this awesome news, you're going to be restored. And so his friend, the baker, comes to Joseph and shares his dream and says, hey, what can you tell me? And this time, it's not nearly as positive. In fact, Joseph gives him bad news. He gives him the hard interpretation that in three days when his friend is restored, he is going to be killed. Bummer. Not what he hoped for. Those were a long three days for him, I think, in the prison. And then the text tells us this, right after Joseph gives this hard news. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. Biblical evidence that we should celebrate birthdays. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of his chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and in the presence of his officials, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Just when we think Joseph's story is about to change directions, down it goes again. Just when he thinks things are now turning around, the worst is certainly behind me. Just when he allows himself to hope just a little that he might become a free man, more bad news. Bad news again. Ever been there? That's a dark place. In a relationship where you've been so guarded for so long because of all the hurt and pain in the past and finally you decide to trust just a little only to discover betrayal and disappointment and lies all over again. Or you've been looking for a job or 
a friend or a spouse for a while and finally you found one with some potential and you're so hopeful and things are looking up until one day you get the news. Sorry, not interested. Or the treatment seems to be working. The new medicine or plan or system is having some effect. And so you allow yourself to hope. Hope that things can change. Hope that healing will last. Hope that the future might be bright. And then all of a sudden, it all comes crashing down. You see, I wonder how it went for Joseph. The cupbearer is released and on his way out, he turns to Joseph and gives him a wink and a thumbs up. I got you, Joe. I got you, buddy. You and me, you know. However, they did it back then in Egypt. Um, and now Joseph's pumped. That little place in his heart that he hasn't allowed to hope for a long time is just ignited and he's starting to hope again. And he's waiting. Any minute now, they're coming for me. Okay, any day now, they're coming for you. Oh, it's got to be tomorrow. They release prisoners on Monday. I'm sure they're coming for me tomorrow. But tomorrow never comes. And Joseph is left just to wonder, what the heck happened, God? Listen to these words. These are the first words of chapter 41, and we'll look at them next week. But I want to give you just a little sneak preview, just a little glimpse. When two full years had passed... Joseph forgotten in prison. When two full years had passed, two full years, two more years on top of the 10 plus he already did as a slave, two more years beyond the time he's already unjustly served for a crime he didn't commit, two full years of sitting and waiting and wondering, God, have you forgotten me? Because you know what's hard about this story? And some of you will relate to this because this is part of your story. When Joseph goes to prison and then all of a sudden, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and baker show up. You notice when I was reading that how many times the author says, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and baker, Pharaoh's baker and chief cupbearer, Pharaoh's two main guys. Like it's like over and over and over again. It's like, we get it. We know who they are. Just say the guys, you know, but it's like the author's repeating it over and over again. Why? Because he wants us to notice who showed up in the prison. These are two of the most influential people in the kingdom. The cupbearer had the ear of the Pharaoh more than anyone else. And they just happen to show up in prison, in Joseph's prison, and are put under Joseph's care. And of course, when we read that, we're meant to think, and Joseph, of course, thinks, ah, God, I see what you're doing. I see where this is going. It has been a long road, yes, but now I see how the story's going to end. Now I see, God, what you are doing. And then it doesn't. As it turns out, after all the praying and asking, and seeking, and crying, and begging. God's plan wasn't what Joseph thought it was. Ever been there? You see, friends, in the face of injustice, please realize that you may feel like God has forgotten you. Because this is a fallen, broken world and injustice reigns supreme and at some point it's coming for every single one of us and when it knocks on your door, you may feel 
like God has forgotten you, especially if it goes on and on. And next week, we will discover that God has not forgotten Joseph, that God is in control, that God does have a plan, that God is at work in Joseph's story. But friends, that's next week. Today, this chapter, this scene ends with these words. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And I want to tell you, if you're here this morning and you feel forgotten by God, if you're here this morning and you've prayed prayers and you've looked for answers and hoped for him to intervene and you feel like every time you pick up the phone there is just static or a busy signal and there is no one home upstairs, I want to tell you, be of good heart because you are in some pretty good company. Some of the greatest heroes of faith in the history of humanity. Some of the most used by God people in the history of the world are people who have felt just like you feel. Joseph felt just like you feel, I imagine. And I'll take it even up a notch. Even Jesus felt this way. Betrayed, unjustly accused, the victim of injustice, deep injustice, injustice beyond what we can ever imagine, hanging on a cross, naked, beaten, suffering, and dying. He says what? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eugene Peterson's translation says, why have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned me, God? How could you just leave me? How could you forget me, your own son? You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus reminds us of this. Even when we feel forgotten, even when we feel utterly and completely abandoned, God is not finished writing our story yet. And friends, if you need to remember that today, if you find yourself in a place where you do feel like God has forgotten you, maybe you've been there for a long time, maybe you've prayed those prayers and made those requests and cried those tears and God just seems to not be home. Maybe you need to hear that today, friends. If you need to remember that, if you need to remember that God is not finished with your story, that he is not finished yet, if you need to remind yourself of that great, amazing truth and declare to yourself again in a, this, this reality in a real physical way, then I'm going to give you the chance to do that because in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the table. And when you come to the table, you'll take some bread and this bread symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken and the cup and you'll take the cup, some juice that symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed. And then as you receive the elements, you will celebrate and declare again this great truth. Our God Our Jesus allowed himself to be forgotten, abandoned, forsaken, so that you and I will never be. You'll never be forgotten by your God. And that, my friends, is a truth to bank on. Because even when your story involves the grave, death, the ultimate prison of this world, Jesus and his story say, there is even victory there. God does not even forget you, and he's not even done with your story when it seems to end in death. He's not done yet. You see, friends, 
This meal declares the great victory of God and the great mercy of God and the great power of God. This meal is our chance to stand together and declare and embrace and celebrate the amazing grace that we have been given in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, in just a minute, I'm going to pray and then I invite you to bring all your injustice the injustice that's been done to you, the injustice that's been done by you, the injustice maybe that lives in you. And you bring it to the foot of the cross and you ask God by his grace to continue to forgive you and change you and transform you and make you into the person that he longs for you to be because that's his will for you. And he will do it. He will never give up on you because you are not forgotten. Amen? I'll pray and then the tables will be open. Father, this morning, we say it again, you are amazing God. To put our hope in anything else in this world is just foolish. And so we long, Lord, we want to put our hope fully in you. Help us to see the injustice that comes from us, Lord. Change our hearts and our mind and our eyes and our attitudes so that we can be people of of righteousness and peace and healing in this world. God, I pray that you'd give us grace and boldness and courage and whatever we need to face the injustice that we're facing, the injustice that's aimed at, at us and the injustice that we see aimed at other people, Lord. May we be champions for your kingdom in this world. May we stand for righteousness even when it costs us. May we be that kind of church. God, continue to do your work for us, in us and remind us, Lord, that when it gets hard and long and it seems never-ending, that you are always with us and that you will never forget. We love you, Lord, in all these things and all the things that we don't even know to pray that your spirit intercedes for on our behalf. We give to you in the trusted and precious name of And that truth is true. If you're new here around here, that is the truth we bank on. There's power in Jesus. Um, There's also power in gathering in the name of Jesus, and there's power in Jesus' church, but the ultimate source of all power and freedom and hope that we have is Jesus. That's our declaration. And if you know him, you know that to be true. If you don't know him yet, if you haven't declared him as Lord and Savior, um, let me just invite you. Yeah, we invite you to keep exploring him, seek him. He will not disappoint you, and you will find out why we're so excited in this place about Jesus. So, uh, four quick things before you go. Rooted. Sign up for Rooted. All right. Prison ministry out in the lobby. If you're interested, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Um, there's a lunch today for Rich Gardner, praying for him and his mission trip over to Nigeria. We talked about that last week. And then last but not least, if you need prayer today, our prayer team would love to pray for you. It's a great act of humility and also courage to step into a place and ask people to pray for you. It's one of the ways that Jesus breaks chains is when we have that sort of humility to ask others with that gift to pray for us. And so if you need that today, if you need prayer for anything, for yourself, for anyone you know, back in the Connect room, there'll be people who'd love to pray for you. So with all that, church, go and be the church in this world. Fight injustice, be the light of Christ, and we'll see you next week as we continue on with Joseph. Joseph.